Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon and happy Tuesday afternoon to everyone. Um, it's a pretty cold day here in North Florida, but I'm glad that you can join us either live or on the playback. Um, I'm here today with a very special guest who is a good friend of mine for a long time, probably one of uh, one of my oldest friends, and she is here to um, talk about um, an obstetric fistula, which um, plagued her life for a while, and um, it's something that I didn't know anything about until um, until my friend got it, and it's something I'm interested in learning more about. I've read a lot on the internet about it, but there's nothing like a, a firsthand account of of this of this devastating uh, condition uh, that she was lucky enough to have uh, treated and corrected, from what I understand. So. Um, her name is Christy Raich. Christy, I hope I'm pronouncing your name, your last name right, because you were Christy Yance when I knew you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Beth, you knew me as Christy Christy Yance for a long time. It's actually Rock. I know that's a that's a strange pronunciation oh, okay. for for a last name. Honey, it's okay. And actually, um, I, I became Christy Rock in 2002. Uh, ironically enough, uh, it was two years ago today that I went into labor. Um, I had no idea what an obstetric fistula was until I gave birth. I uh, I had, unfortunately, a very, very hard time with my labor and delivery. I really can't say a lot of good things about what happened to me in the hospital when I gave birth. I asked and asked for my doctor, and they basically they wouldn't call him. I was treated so, so horribly. No one should the way that I was treated. I laid in agony for 18 and a half hours. I calls to nurses went basically unanswered. There were times that my husband, my, my best friend, my mother would have to go out in the hall and just flag down random nurses when I needed things. Um, my epidural didn't work, so I laid there in agony. I was screaming. There were times that um, I, literally I thought I was going to die there. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to make it. My heart rate, my heartbeat was so high that it was mm-hmm. beating out of my chest. I thought I was going to lose consciousness. Um, my nurses, they just they acted like it, it wasn't anything. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the worst account that I have of childbirth was when um, I had asked, I, I begged them, I said, please, please do something. I, I believe I'm going to die. And my nurse and the CRNA were, were standing outside of my door where I could see them, and I'm screaming for help, and I'm begging. And they're out there just acting like nothing was wrong, trying to debate on what to do with me. And that's when they told me they could basically rebolus my epidural one more time, and uh, that was right before I gave birth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I gave birth to a child that wasn't breathing. Um, she spent 14 days in the NICU. And when I went home, the next day, I went to the bathroom. And unfortunately, I had a bowel movement. And I know you're probably wondering why I'm explaining this, because the bowel movement didn't come out where it was supposed to. The bowel movement came from my vagina. And that was the most horrifying event of my life. Right. Because I had no idea what was going on. I was just mortified. Mm-hmm. So immediately I called my doctor. I'm like, what is going on? Why is this happening? And my doctor, he, he wasn't there. Um, the doctor on call said, it sounds like officially you're going to need to see your doctor on Monday morning. And because uh, this was on a Friday night. 
So I got in the bathtub. All I wanted was to get things. And so I'm sitting in the bathtub, and the most horrifying thing happens. I mean, there's fecal matter floating in my bathtub. And, I mean, I just look down at my hands and Beth, I mean, it, you just cannot imagine how horrifying it is to see feces floating in your bathtub. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just no words to describe how horrible that feels when all you want is to be clean. And so here I am, I'm sitting in my bathtub, and I'm sobbing because I can't get clean. And so I stand up, shower, and I'm just scrubbing, and I'm just trying to scrub away this filth, this filthiness, and I just I can't get clean. No matter what I do, I can't get clean. And all this while your daughter's so in, the, in the neo-ICU? Yes. And your daughter's oh, yes. still at and, the hospital? Yeah, my, my my child is still at the hospital. I had to leave my child at the hospital. And so here I am, home, you know, I can't even get clean. I'm, you know, I, I stink, I can't get clean. And I'm just, I'm beside myself. I'm beside myself with grief for my child. I'm beside myself with grief and anxiety for myself because I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happened, you know, to my body. And I go in and I finally get to tell my doctor what's happened to me. And he is absolutely mortified. You know, he he didn't understand that, you know, I had been screaming for him and I had asked for him time and time again and that they wouldn't call him. You know, he didn't know that I had been in labor, uh, you know, for the amount of time that I had been and that I had been asking for him and that, you know, I'd been treated the way that I had been treated. You know, he, he was not happy that the nurses left me to lay the way that I had and that I had been treated with the indignity that I had been treated with. Mm-hmm. Um and he did confirm that I had fistula indeed. So um, because I had to have an episiotomy, my child was, she wasn't so heavy as she was large. Her bones and everything, she had a very broad shoulders. Um, so I did require an episiotomy to have her. What is that? Well, unfortunately, I had to wait. Uh, an episiotomy is where you have to have um, a cut from oh, the perineum okay. to, allow, mm-hmm. to allow the child to be able to be oh. born. Okay, yeah. So I, I had to allow time. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I had a cousin who had to have that. Um, yes. Yeah. A lot, it, it, unfortunately, it is common when you have a larger child um, with a, you know, a major, yeah, either a larger head, larger shoulders, um, the weight is heavier. That, that can be common with some boss. Um I had to wait for time for that to heal before I could go in for surgery with my fistula repaired. And I went in, uh, so I had to live with this condition for two weeks. So I thought, okay, it's only two weeks. I, you know, I can deal with this. So I got some Depends. I got some medicated wipes. I wasn't, unfortunately, able to douche or anything. So basically all I could do was take some medicated wipes. I had to basically live with this. You know, I thought, okay, just two weeks. I can deal with this. You know, I can wear my Depends. I can, I can, it wasn't easy, but I made it through my two weeks. And so I went into surgery two weeks later, and I was very hopeful that that I was going to be healed. And my OB went in. He did the best he could. But unfortunately, a week after surgery, the fistula reopened, and mm-hmm. I was right back where I started from. Um, fortunately, it was not uh, that reopened. It was not as large as the original fistula. The original mm-hmm. fistula was the size of a golf ball. So the entire bowel movement did come through um, my, the, the actual fistula. You know, I had nothing coming through my rectum. Everything came through the vagina. So this time it was leakage, which was very, very annoying, but it was not quite as bad. Um, 
but it was still debilitating because I still had to wear the depends. I still had to have the wipes. But this time, at least I could douche. I could at least be able to do something to get myself a little cleaner. But he told me, he said, Christy, there's nothing else I can do for you. You know, I, I've done what I can. He said, I'll be more than glad to help you find a surgeon. Um, and I told him, I said, I love you. I don't blame you for this. This is not your fault. You've done the best you can. Um, but I'm on my own now. I'm going to go ahead and try to find a surgeon myself. And I went to Knoxville. And I looked and I found a surgeon in Knoxville. And Beth, this guy, I, I just, I can't even tell you about the guy. He was the worst surgeon, I believe, I have ever seen with the worst best manner. Oh. I went in and I had an exam by him. And uh, after, I, you know, I, I told him my story and he basically just really didn't seem to care what I'd been through. It just was nothing to him. And uh, after I came out, I got dressed, and he came back in, and he said, do you have family here with you today? And I said, yes, I do. He said, we need, I need to see them with you in my office. And I thought, God, I'm going to die. I must have cancer or something. This, this is horrible. Because I was prepared to hear that I was going to have to have a colostomy. I was prepared to hear more surgery. And I walk into his office, and he tells me that I need to have about four surgeries over a four-year process, and uh uh, he, he's going on and on and on about how I need to speak to repair and all these different things. And I'm like, sir, can you fix my fistula? And he gets really irritated about this. And I said, do I need a colostomy? And he said, mm-hmm. at your size, I don't believe I can do a colostomy. And I was like, I know that I am not some sort of monstrosity. I've lost 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't see why you need to be treating me with this type of indignity. Mm-hmm. And he continues to go on and on and on. You know, he doesn't even want to answer any of my questions. <clears throat> and as I'm getting ready to, you know, I have a baby with me, and as I'm getting ready to wheel her out of the office, some of the nurses want to see her. I stop for just a moment, and he's trying to hurry me into this next office to schedule my surgery, and I'm like, absolutely not. And so I wheeled Savannah out of the office, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, there's got somebody that can help me. And I knew he wasn't the one. So mm-hmm. I saw a surgeon in Johnson City, and... She told me, she said, at the size this is, I think this may be able to heal on its own. I Mm. thought, okay, I'll give it a year. She told me, you know, maybe within a year it would heal. So I said, okay, I can do this. I can do this. All the while, I was having flashbacks to the horrible experience I had with the birth, you know, with being left in labor with these nurses, with the way I was being treated. And every time I went to the bathroom, it was as you know, it, it wasn't just a little bit of leakage like people think. They think, oh, it's nothing to deal with. You know, and that's the way I was being treated by some doctors. Now, my OBGYN, he did not treat me that way. He didn't, you know, have that type of mentality that, oh, Christy, it's just a little leakage. You need to deal with it. He wasn't the one that treated me that way. But, you know, some of the other surgeons, that was the way they acted. Like, oh, it's just a little bit of leakage. You need to just deal with it. And, oh you know, for people who feel that way. Let me tell you what it's like to live with a fistula. Every time you have a movement, it's a three to four hour ordeal. Because once you go to the bathroom, you have to douche not just once, but to seven times in a row in order to flush that fecal matter out of your vagina. Because it doesn't just come out once. It continuously comes out. You have to keep flushing and flushing and flushing in order to ensure that it comes out so that you don't end up with an infection. Mm-hmm. 
And then, after you get up and walk around for a little while, maybe 5, 10, 15, even 20 minutes, more is going to come out. So you're going to have to go back to the bathroom, and you're going to have to douche again, and you're going to have to flush a little more out. And then 15, 20, 30 minutes later, you're going to have to go back to the bathroom, and you're going to have to flush some more out because it's going to continue to come out. So it's not one-time process, and it's not just a one-time thing. That's going to happen for anywhere from two to four hours after simply one bowel movement. And mm-hmm. if you bacteria, if you let that fecal matter sit there, mm-hmm. it's going to potentially form a yeast infection, which mm-hmm. is going to be a lot of trouble. Or worse, and you know you can't. Like. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, so it's not just a one-time thing, and. Um, you end up, what happened to me, I ended up living that way. You know, a lot of times I didn't even leave my house. It got to the point where the only thing that I ended up doing was going to the doctor and going home. Mm. Because after, um, one thing that I'd even forgotten to mention was after I'd had surgery, I was so lethargic and I was so miserable that it, it was hard for me to even get out of bed. And I'd gone to my nurse practitioner and I said, Shanna, I just feel miserable. I just, I barely, I can barely function. And she ran some blood work, and she said, Christy, you have an iron level of five. Mm. No wonder you can't function. And I was sent to um, the local blood cancer clinic to have iron infusions. And there I was, I was depressed, and I was sending people taking chemotherapy. And here I was, so depressed that, you know, I would wake up every day and I would be praying to God that it was my last day. And here these people were, thanking God for just one more day. And, you know, I was sitting there just feeling the ultimate feeling of guilt because, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I just wish that I could just wake up and that be it. And people here, they were praying for one more day. And mm-hmm. that would be making me feel even worse you know, because here I was. My condition was, you know, in comparison to what they had, seemed so insignificant. But looking back now, it wasn't, you know. A fistula is not insignificant. It's it's a very significant condition. And finally, I sought out help. I ended up uh, going to therapy. I ended up seeing a counselor, and I ended up seeing a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. for what I had went through, simply for what I had gone through, because another doctor that I had seen Christy, you know, this can't be all that's, all that's there. She said, there has to be something more. You know, what you've been through, that this yet there there has to be something deeper rooted. And the psychiatrist that I saw said, no. What you have been through, what you have described to me in detail, is enough to push anyone over the edge. You have post-traumatic stress disorder, and I'm very sorry for what you've been through. I'm very sorry that anyone has told you that this is not enough. Your feelings are very valid, and you're very real and don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise and um, I decided to fight I decided to continue to get help um, I ended up unfortunately my family was made a whole lot worse um, in October of 2009 I ended up with a severe stomach and uh, stomach bug I guess you would call it mm-hmm. I ended up throwing up and having the vomiting and diarrhea for three straight days, and that opened my fistula up more. So I'd gone back to see the surgeon that uh, had told me, you know, that she thought everything would heal on its own, 
And she told me, she said, unfortunately, Chris, it's not going to heal. And there's not anything I can do. You need a rectovaginal reconstruction. And I told her, I said, can you do this? Because, you know, I really trusted her. I really liked her. And she said, no, I can't. But there's a great urogynecologist. Um, I've met him. You know, I think he's really going to be able to help you. So I had a lot of hope. I was really excited about seeing this urogynecologist. And uh, she made me an appointment with him, and I went over to see him. And unfortunately, once again, sir, this is surgeon number three I'm seeing here, Beth. And uh, he uh, he gives me an exam, and he asks me if I want to see my fistula. Beth, what kind of person asks a woman who is suffering from post-traumatic stress if they want to see their fistula? Uh, I mean, obviously, someone not very sensitive. I mean, what kind of person asked that? I looked at the nurse and I said, is he for real? And he asked me again. I said, sir, I live with it. I feel it every single day. I don't want to see it. And um, after after that, he said, um, we're going we're gonna to be doing blah, blah. And, you know, he kind of goes through and he, he, he hem-haws about things. He doesn't really tell me what he's going to do. And I said, okay, sir. I said, how are we going to do the, the the reconstruction? And he gets up and he walks out of the room and he comes back with a diagram of the vagina. And he starts just pointing out parts of the vagina. And so I take the, the diagram and I finish out the anatomy lesson. And I said, sir, I had anatomy. I know where parts of the vagina are. And I said, right here is where my fistula is. And I said, can you tell me how you're going to do the reconstruction? Because by this time, I'm irate. And I'm normally ugly with doctors, but, I mean, I'm really, really mad. I had lived with this for almost a year. Mm -hmm. I had really had enough. And I told him, and he looked at me and he said, well, I'm a minimalist. And right then, I was ready to just scream. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm going to do, we're going to patch it. And I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, no, we're not doing a patch job. Mm -hmm. I'm not having a patch job. That's what was going through my mind. And uh, I said, so you're not going to do a reconstruction? And he said, no, we're going to do a patch job, and I'm going to have a general surgeon do a colostomy on you. And I'm sitting here with my mouth. I'm sitting here thinking, "Uh, no, this is not going to happen. And I said, well, I'm going to talk to uh, my my other surgeon, and I'll get back with you. And I walked out of that office fuming. I'm like, he is not touching me. I'm over this. So I called my other surgeon, and I'm desperate by this time, Beth. I'm desperate. I told her, and I went in, and I mean, I'm in tears. I said, please, just give me a colostomy. All I want is a normal life, and I'm never going to have one. I'm facing facts that I'm going to live with this fistula for the rest of my life. There is no hope. No one is going to help me. Please just give me this fistula, or please give me this colostomy, because I cannot live with this fistula another day. And she said, you know, it's it's hard to do a, a fistula on a person of your size. And I'm like, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, is there nobody that is qualified to do a colostomy on a plus-size person? You know, I was under 300 pounds at this point in time. I used to weigh 400 pounds. Did what you? What did they do? Yeah, I used to weigh mm. 400 pounds, Beth. And as of now, I am down 162 pounds as of today. Wow. Wow, that's really great. And and this is without surgery. This is without any form of surgery. Mm -hmm. And what would they do 
if I went into the emergency room today in a horrible accident and I had to have a colostomy, what would they do? That's what I want to know. But I didn't ask that at the time because that's, you know, that's completely irrelevant. But the point that I, you know, I mean, I was desperate. I was in tears. And, you know, here she was just evading the subject, you know, because I'm begging all I want is a chance because they don't understand what it's like. They don't understand what I've been through. And the thing that really killed me was she walked by my daughter and who was laying in the crib and she, or laying in her uh, car seat, and she said, you did this to Mommy. Oh. And I'm like, I can't believe the insensitivity of the doctors in this area. And, oh. you know, she she wouldn't give me the colostomy, and so I walked out of there. What is and a I was just out of hope. And I, um, basically, a colostomy is where they reroute your intestine to basically a bag which is carried on the side of your body where mm-hmm. um, your fecal matter is emptied into this. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the girls that is in my support group, I have a support group, as a matter of fact, on Facebook called Living with Obstetric Fistula. That is for any um, any woman that is currently uh, a victim or a survivor of obstetric fistula. And one of my girls, she is living with, uh, I believe it's an ileostomy. Um, mm. It's either a colostomy or ileostomy, and I apologize for not knowing the difference. So I love you, and I'm sorry that I'm not sure which one it is. Um, but she currently has one um, and is waiting right now for her fistula to heal. But she's a strong girl. She's she's right now waiting to heal, and I'm so proud of her. But uh, I, I was begging for one myself, and um, I, I was denied. You know, she would not give me one. And so I walked out of that office bed in tears, you know, and I had given up. I thought, I'm going to live with this fistula the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had gone back to uh, my hematologist for a checkup, and I was telling him about it. And I love that man more than life itself. And he told me he, he's from Nigeria, where, unfortunately, fistulas are prevalent because mm-hmm. there is little to no obstetric care there. And he told me, he said, Christy, you fight. He said, you don't take no for an answer. He said, if I took no for an answer, I would still be in Nigeria. He said, but I'm in America, and I'm helping people, and I'm helping heal them. He said, you don't stay in Johnson City. He said, you get help. He said, you go to the best. He said, you go to Mayo, you go to Duke, you go to Vanderbilt. Someone will help you. And I went home that night, and I got on the website for Vanderbilt University Medical Center, and I looked through all of the colorectal surgeons, and all of their credentials were wonderful. But I found Dr. Paul Wise, and that man, I cannot say enough wonderful things about him. I absolutely, I love the man. I, I love him. I cannot say enough wonderful things about him. Made an appointment with him. Actually, you have to have a referral to go to Vanderbilt, so I called my nurse practitioner, Shanna, and I said, Shanna, I want to see Dr. Wise. And I said, I don't want to see anybody but Dr. Wise. And this was in December, and uh, it took months to get in to see Dr. Wise. It was March before I got in to see him because they said that. They, they called me and they said, Christy, we're sorry, that's the soonest we can get you in. And I said, that's fine. I said, I know it's going to be the wait. You know, just I just knew, seeing his picture and reading about him, that he was going to be the one. And as soon as I met him, I mean, I just knew that he was going to heal me. 
I went in, I told him about what I'd been through, and he was so kind and he was so compassionate. He examined me and he came back in and he said, we have uh, a few options here. He told me about the plug and he said, I see, uh, which is basically a plug that you can put into your fistula. He said, I see absolutely no need for that. He said, those things, they have very little to uh, no um, results. He said, I see you for that. He said, or we can do a rectovaginal reconstruction. He said, I have very, very good results with those. Um, they have a very high success rate. And he explained to me how that worked. And he said, uh, I'll be glad to set you up for surgery. He said, when, uh, when is good for you? And I was like, uh, now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I'll be glad to sign up now. Um, but we set up for May. And basically, I'm going to celebrate my birthday every year, May 11th, because that is the day, basically, I consider my rebirth because that's the day that he gave me my life back. That was the day of your surgery? That was the day of my surgery. I cannot explain to you, Beth, what it is like to be fistula-free. There are no words to describe the treatment that I received at Vanderbilt. From the people that wheeled me to my room, that wheeled me to surgery, to the registered nurses, to the people that cared for me in recovery, to the interns, to Dr. Wise, I mean, the care that I got there at Vanderbilt was second to none. I I have never experienced anything like it. Uh, it's just, it's indescribable. I, I feel like a new person. Having that fistula gone, I have hope. Uh, I don't take anything for granted anymore. Mm-hmm. I remember what it's like to live. I go to the, the first time that I went to the bathroom and I was able to wipe and there was no feces. I mean, I had forgotten. It was 15 months that I lived like that. It was 15 months that I did not leave my house without a kit that had mm-hmm. a douche bag, that had wipes, that had the pins in it. I mean, it was oh 15 months I had to leave my house. And then in order to leave my house, I had to know where there was bathroom at every stop, mm-hmm. that I had to make sure that that kit was with me, that, you know, I had to worry about possibly having a flashback, that if I was going to pass that hospital, that I couldn't be driving because I was mm. going to see the faces of those nurses. I was going to remember what happened to me. So that, when when you went into labor, did a doctor deliver your did deliver your daughter or... Um, or was this, yes. Now, now, my doctor, he, he he was there. My doctor was there. He he did a wonderful job with the delivery. I can't, I cannot actually complain about my doctor. Like I said, I don't blame him for anything that happened. I'm angry about the treatment that I received from the nurses and mm-hmm. from, like I said, the so-called healthcare professionals in that hospital at the time. My doctor, mm-hmm. I, I I don't have any. With him, that's not the the per, the per, person I have a problem with. It's yeah, the reason I ask is were. the reason I ask is I was doing some uh, research before um, our interview today, and most of the obstetric fistulas that I was finding and information on were on were in third world countries, and I was like, well, surely she didn't have this. <laughs> you know, this happens in you know in in in, in very poor countries in Africa and and. and the different parts of the world, and there's a there's a big uh, movement throughout the world 
for for women to get better treatment and it happens from what I've read when women are in labor and it's they just get very poor care. And I thought, you know, I grew up where you grew up and I thought, well surely this didn't happen to her, you know, where I I'm from. <laughs> and it did. It, it did. It did. And that's why we need to demand that there is better health care everywhere. It is still happening in the United States, and we do not need to turn a blind eye to this. It is happening here. It's happening. There have been more cases of this, too, all over the world. It's happened to, as a matter of fact, people in my, um, there are people in our support group. It's happened in the United Kingdom. It has happened in Australia. It happened in Florida. It happened in New York. It's happened in Pennsylvania. It's happened in Ohio. It's happening in Tennessee. There have been, uh, there have actually been more cases uh, where we are from Beth. There have been more cases in our hospital. Um, there was another case in the hospital where I delivered. Mm-hmm. So that right there, that needs to tell our healthcare professionals step it up. Not just the doctors, the nurses, the people that are caring for us. Take care of your patients. Listen to their needs. When there's something wrong. Listen to them. Please listen to them. You know, there are times, and I understand that, that sometimes fistulas cannot be avoided, but oftentimes they can be. Mm -hmm. They definitely can be. If your patient is in pain, if something doesn't seem right, listen to them. Listen to their concerns because fistulas, they are damaging. They're Mm -hmm. more damaging physically and emotionally. Because the emotional aspect, I'll be honest with you, the emotional aspect to me was far worse than the physical aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, as a matter of fact, um, I have some girls that I hope uh, are going to basically be seeking counseling. And there's no shame in that. That's one thing, too, that I really want to reiterate to my girl, um, to anyone that's listening that may have an obstetric fistula. Do not be ashamed. Go and seek counseling to, to find someone to speak to. There is no shame in that. It takes a very strong person to realize that they can't go through this alone, right. that you may need some help to get through it. And that, you, you know, there you is no a, shame in that. You probably missed a lot of time with your, your daughter, your little girl, having to deal with you know, going to doctors and all this. And I think that it took I did. Um, part of motherhood away from you. It did. It robbed my first year of her life. There is a lot that, that I don't remember. There is a lot that I have blocked out because I didn't want to remember it. I didn't want to remember a lot of the things that went on because I spent so much time crying. I spent so much time in a mental anguish and in a mental hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took away from my family. I took away from my friends. Um, I put them through literal hell bath. No one, you know, no one wanted to see this. No one wanted to go see this. You know, there were many days that I literally wanted to die. I did not want to live. I did not want to go on because I just didn't want to live this way. And people, unless they have been through it, they cannot know. And uh, one thing, and that's that's one of the reasons why I started the support group that I did, because I felt isolated and I felt alone, because no one knew what I was going through and no one knew how to help me. Mm-hmm. Because unless you have been there, you don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, one basically really inspired me and helped me 
was when I went back for my post-op visit at Dr. Waz's office. He, um, in, the, in one of the, the rooms next to me, he had a young lady that was suffering with an obstetric fistula, and he asked me, he said, would you care to go next door and speak with her? And I said, no, I would love to. And when I walked in the room, I saw her face, and I saw the tears, and I knew. And that's the pain that only someone who has been through that can know. And I hugged her, and I told her. I said, you're going to be okay. And I said, I promise you that. You are in the best hands possible. And I said, I know what you're going through. And I said, I promise you, you're going to get through it. And I promise you that I'm here for you. No matter what, you can call me, and I will help you. And I saw her through. Uh, I sent a letter to her by Dr. Wise, and uh, I spoke to her after her surgery. You know, I followed through with her. And, you know, that inspired me and made sure that I followed through. I followed through with all of my girls in the support group. Um, I followed with Tara. I followed through with Tiffany. Um, those are some girls that, that told me it was okay to, to mention their name. Um, I don't know about the other girls. You know, I want to make sure that I, you know, protect their privacy, but I do have other girls in the group that I love dearly. I love you all. I want you to know that I love you. Um, but our group, um, our group is private uh, because we do talk about things of a sensitive nature, and I do want everyone to be able speak freely, to speak about things um, that they normally wouldn't feel comfortable speaking about with other people. But I do want everyone to know that if you are suffering or you are a survivor, that you are welcome. Um, I will not deny anyone entrance that is a survivor or is a um, victim of obstetric fistula. All you have to do is go to Facebook and search for living with obstetric fistula. It will pull up under a group, um, apply for admission, and like I said, I will be more than glad to grant you admission if you are a victim or a survivor. We'll be more than glad to have you at any point in time. Um, before you um, did, did you have any complications with your um, with your pregnancy that might have? What led to you getting it to begin with? Because I don't really understand what causes them. Um, In all sincerity, we're not a hundred percent sure. Typically, what causes an obstetric fistula is prolonged or obstructed labor. Mm. I was in labor for 18 and a half hours. Mm. And personally, in my opinion, that's a long time to be in labor. Um, And obstructed labor basically means that the child is laying in the birth canal for a long time, cutting Uh. off blood flow to that area. Mm -hmm. So that is also another theory. Um, You know, it's never been 100% determined as to what the official cause was, if it was where I was in labor for 18 and a half hours or if it was where she was laying in the birth canal for basically 18 and a half hours and that cut off the blood flow. Those are basically two theories. Oh, it okay. has never been 100% determined. Um, <clears throat> you know, there there are different things. Um, some of the girls that are in our group, uh, it could have been where they have had to have forceps used on them Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can be causes where they have had forceps used and possibly used improperly. I didn't have forceps used or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave birth naturally, um, so she was, you know, pulled from my body naturally. So that it wasn't anything like that. So, you know, like I said, it wasn't a complication with the delivery or anything like that. You know, my doctor didn't do anything wrong as far as the delivery goes. So, like right. I said, you know, I have no blame with him. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. Um so that's why we just really don't know 
what the cause of that was. I think it was just such a prolonged labor. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we just don't know in my case. It was just a very long, traumatic, ag- agonizing for me. And the care, like I said, I received from the people around me at that hospital made things all the worse. Uh, the only bright side that I have was my postpartum nurse. I, I thank God every day for her. Um, if everybody could be like her, it would be a lot better place there, I must say that much. I, I had a wonderful postpartum nurse, and that that did make things a whole lot better. If everybody was like my delivering doctor and the postpartum nurse, things would be a lot better. But that that was the only upside, at least, to my delivery process there. Mm-hmm. But but it was a long, rough road. And recovery for me has been, um, since the fistula, my recovery has been a lot better process. Uh, I thank Dr. Wise. I still see him for checkups and things of nature, and it's always a joy to see him. I, I really enjoy my visit with him. He makes things uh, a lot better. He's made things a lot better for me. I, I definitely recommend anyone, if they have a fistula and they're in the state of Tennessee, definitely mm-hmm. go to Vanderbilt to see him. He's, he's Vanderbilt's the best. The best. <laughs> I'm so glad Absolutely. that you got um you got great treatment and great um a great result from your surgery I, I presume. Yes, absolutely. The fistula has not returned, will not return. Oh, absolutely. Great. I am I am fistula free. Fistula free <laughs> in 2010. It was my year and I'm praying that this is going to be the year 2011 that all of the girls in my support group that they're going to be fistula free that we're going to get some treatments, that we're going to get some cures, that uh, that we're going to end obstetric fistula, maybe through education, through awareness, that mm-hmm. we can get this out, that we can that we can help realize that, unfortunately, that it is still happening in the United States and that it is still happening worldwide, um, that it is still, unfortunately, um, you know, it is still an epidemic in the third world countries mm-hmm. that bless their hearts, that they don't have the treatment. I mean, you know, I am thankful that I am in the United States, um, that I am able to get the treatment that I need here. Um, and, that, you know, my girls that were in the U.K. and in Australia, that they were able also to get the treatments that they needed, that they are in countries that uh, the health care was available as well to them, yeah. that they were able to get quality health care as well there. That's very true because, um, in, I mean, in the third world countries, there's really no... Um, I mean, there there is no health care. I mean, these women probably lay in anguish for days in labor, and and I, that's what I read. That that's how they were they were getting the um, these, these obstetric fistulas was um, was this prolonged labor because they didn't really have anyone but you know a sister or something to help them give birth, and it just sounded barbaric to be honest. Oh, my uh, heart bleeds when I think about you know the women that are in Africa and the Congo mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. places like that where, where there are no treatments. And, you know, there there are no cures, basically. You know, you have people mm-hmm. that are going over there basically on goodwill trip and missions. You know, you do have some doctors that go over there and that will help them, but right. that's, basically it's not. That's, that's their only hope. You know, so I do count myself very fortunate and very lucky that I do have health insurance, that I do have you know, access to medical care, that I did have a a wonderful hospital like Vanderbilt, that I did have a wonderful surgeon like Dr. Wise that was able to help me and, you know, that I am here and that I did have the treatment that I had because I know that there are so many that are going without. Um, 
and, it and was I know only... that even here in the United States that there are women that are, you know, and unfortunately there are women here in the United States that are living with fistulas that are going without treatment because they and don't have probably, insurance, you know. probably not as proactive as you were or, you know, had the great advice of the doctor who told you to fight. You know, I could only imagine that maybe sometimes you just didn't feel like fighting. You just you just exactly. felt, felt very, um, you felt like giving up. I mean, if you were treated so, you know, poorly by doctors who were almost ridiculing you for your weight or for, the fact that what you know you wanted a, you wanted a reconstruction and they wanted to do a patch job or whatever, you know. I exactly, mean, and that's one thing that I really want to encourage women with: do not settle for less than the best. It is your body. Don't let them tell you if you think you know that, that you need a patch job. If you believe in your heart that you deserve something else, or that that's not going to work for you. Because there were so many doctors that kept telling me one thing, that they kept telling me this, that, and the other, and I genuinely did not believe that they had my best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. You don't believe that someone has your best interest at heart. You keep on going. Mm-hmm. You keep fighting. Don't let them tell you something. Just because they're a doctor doesn't mean they know everything. Because, unfortunately, doctors are not infallible. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them, they don't have... All, you know, and doctors don't have all the answers. And yeah. I appreciate a doctor that can tell me they don't know when they don't know. Mm-hmm. If they don't know how to do something, I really appreciate them saying, you know what, I'm not familiar with this, don't know, I would be more comfortable referring you to someone else mm-hmm. than them trying to tell me, well, you know, I would be more comfortable doing this, that, or the other with you and really not knowing and getting in there and causing me more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Or you know, if you if someone comes in there and they treat you with a bedside manner that is just deplorable, mm-hmm. you don't deserve that. You do that's not horrible to think that that's happening better. here. That yes. that would happen here. It's horrible or, to know, think. Tennessee. It's horrible to think that people have gotten that cold and that that they have forgotten that we are human beings, that we have thoughts, that we have feelings, that sure. we. You know that we are people. We well, yeah, deserve better than this. I mean, uh, you know, uh, that's why I, that's why I'm being active. That's why I want people to realize that they don't have to settle for this. That we don't have to settle for this. I, I didn't settle for it, and I want other people to realize that that's not what they have to do. That just because someone tells you this doesn't mean that that's the way that it is. I got up and I thought, and I want other people to do so as well. I want them to show. I, I wanted to be an example that you can rise above, that you don't have to sit around and you don't have to let it. You don't have to be a statistic. You can be a survivor. Mhm. Well, you have always been a really great supporter of people and a really great friend, and your your group is lucky to have you, truly, because you know. I mean, you. I've always had a really a really big heart and um and that's one of the things that I admire about you and also your just your gumption and your will to say I'm not going to take this anymore. You're like I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> well, thank you, babe. Yeah, uh, you know I have been away ever since we've been in high school and you know if somebody gets me mad you know when I'm going to start fighting, and you know I'm not going to stop until I get what I want. <laughs> That's true. You know I have the attitude. I want what I want, 
and I get what I want. (laughs) (laughs) And you got better. And that's a yeah, and I did, and that was when, and honestly, it took me getting mad to get better, and that's finally when I realized, I thought, you know what, I'm mad now, and I'm finally going to get what I want, <laughs> and I'm thankful that I wasn't too mad to take it out on Dr. Wise, <laughs> because that man, that sweet man has been so good to me. He's that's probably awesome. better to me than he should, <laughs> but that's yeah, awesome. I, I really, you know, I, I hope that everyone were- can... When I read last year you were going to Vanderbilt, I was like, she's going to get better because they have the best Oh, Vanderbilt. yeah. Yes, um, I, I couldn't wait to get down there, you know, because I was really anxious when I first went down there because when I walked in, <laughs> excuse me, they had no idea what was wrong with me because I didn't. they didn't send any transcripts or anything, and they sent an intern in there at first, and you know, she was examining my stomach, and she's like, what are you down here with, with today? And I was like, I have an obstetric fistula. Here, I brought some paperwork with me. And poor Dr. Wise walked in and he had no idea. And I mean, that poor man, I just feel full of it. I told him, I said, I've been to see three surgeons. And I thought, Betty thought, oh my goodness, this woman right here, she is going to be full of it. He had no idea. He had no idea what he was in for. <laughs> but now, a year later, now he does. I'm probably like his VIP patient. He sees me coming, he's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> but, but we have a good time. He, uh, He's taken really good care of me, and like I said, I do. I recommend everyone to him. Um, I would recommend anyone to him for anything, any type of colorectal needs, any type of fistula, obstetric fistula. I would recommend anyone to Vanderbilt for anything because they, they do. They have the best, absolute best care down there, period. Mm-hmm. And I knew once I got down there, I even went down there uh, for physical therapy. I drove down there four and a half hours for physical therapy because, unfortunately, the type of physical therapy I needed, they didn't offer it in Johnson City. I had to drive four hours for physical therapy before I could have surgery. Oh, no. Yeah, I had to take a very specialized type of physical therapy called biofeedback. And most of the girls in my my group that have had the physical therapy had to have the biofeedback physical therapy. And uh, that was the only one that was in my network at the time. So I had to drive to Bandy. To have that's physical a, therapy, so I was like, you know, I'm kind of a Nashville regular now. So I was like, I might as well go ahead and buy myself a, a part-time apartment down in Nashville. <laughs> go down there to live. But, you know, it's so good, basically, you know, it's so good to be healed. It's so good to have my life back. And I, I'm really, I'm wanting that for everyone that's living with a fistula. I really, I want healing for all of the girls that live with it. I, I want everyone to know what it's like. I want them to be able to remember what it's like to have a normal life because when you live with a fistula, you don't remember, you know, and, and, and as crazy as it sounds, you know, you don't remember what it's like to go to the bathroom and have a normal bowel movement. You just mm-hmm. don't remember. That's something you just you take for granted because you don't remember what it's like. But I want them to be able to remember that. And, you know, I remember that every day. When I go, I remember that for them. And there are times that I look on the board, you know, and I'll see their post. And there are days that it's overwhelming for me that I'll sit and I'll cry because I feel their pain and I remember. You know, I remember for them. And that's why I fight so hard because I want them to get the help because I don't ever stop fighting for them. You know, I look for doctors for them. I look for, you know, I look for anything for them. I'll keep searching, you know, for doctors in, in different states. You know, I will look for anything they need. 
Mm-hmm. I'll get them the help that they need one way or another because I'm going to see to it that they get the help they need. Do you find that they have some similar experiences with doctors that you had, the negative experiences? Uh, some of them definitely do. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, a lot of doctors, they just don't understand. You know, And unfortunately, until you have a fistula, it's one of those things that you just don't understand. And unless you have a doctor that sees them regularly, they just don't understand it either. I mean, uh, you know, I think Dr. Wise is very compassionate because he probably, you know, he see, um, I guess, maybe more fistulas than maybe most people because he does deal with a lot of patients with uh, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, mm-hmm. which be the fistula rate. I think there is a little higher with that. So he does repair, you know, maybe a few more fistulas with that. Um, but he's just maybe, you know, a more compassionate man in general. And I think it does take a more compassionate person to deal with that. Um, but a lot of the, the, the girls have dealt with doctors that are just not as compassionate, just not as understanding. And it is hard when you have that. You know, we don't necessarily need somebody that's going to hold our hand the whole time. But, you know, a little bit of compassion and a little bit of caring goes a long way. Sure, and it if you can't scary. have that, you know, basically, why are you in the medical field? Mm-hmm. You know, you need to have that to be able to relate to people. You know, I mean, if you're going to go in there and be as cold as us, what are you doing working with people? Mm-hmm. You know, I would think that you were work scared. With the dead, you know. Mm-hmm. I was just saying. Um, I would I'm think you we, were. Oh, I was just saying. I would think that it would be when you first had it a very scary thing. Um, like, oh, what is it, wrong with me? You know, this isn't right. It was exceptional. It's exceptionally scary. In the very beginning, mm-hmm. it was terrifying. Like I said, when I sat in that bathtub that first night, it was the most horrifying experience of my life. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I, Beth, there's no words to describe it. You know, I had flashbacks to that. Like I said, that's why I spent a year in therapy, because I couldn't get past some of these things. I couldn't get past having to deal with that. And then... Once you finally do, the best way to describe it is comfortably numb because you just become numb to the feeling. You just numb yourself. You just, you don't really feel anymore. You know, by the time I actually did go to Vanderbilt, I was numb to the feeling of everything. I just, I didn't really even feel anymore. Uh, uh I don't even know how to describe it. I was just, I I just existed. I didn't even live anymore. I just existed. Mm -hmm. Now, as it came time to get towards my surgery, I had really begun to live again. Mm -hmm. excited because I knew I was going to be healed. You know, I had begun to go to my friends' houses again. I had begun to, you know, be a little more social Mm -hmm. and do things like that. Uh, Because, like I said, I really, I knew that I was going to be healed. There was no doubt in my mind that Dr. Wise was going to heal me. I knew that that was the final surgery, and I knew it was it. And um, I had finally heard the surgery again. But, yeah, it was just one. That was that's it. great. And that's what he told me. He said, you know, I went in, and that was what was so funny. I went in there and I asked him, I said, can you do a colostomy on a person of my size? And he looked at me like I had three heads. And he said, well, yeah. He said, you don't need one, but... Uh, he said, if you need a colostomy, that's no problem for me to give you a colostomy. And I said, they can't do a colostomy on a person in my size in Johnson City. And he said, really? I mean, he was like in just complete shock that someone would even say a thing like that. I mean, you know, he was appalled at that. And uh, he, he said, 
well, okay. You know, I mean, just kind of shocked that, that you know, anybody could, couldn't do that. But he said, no, he said, well, you won't need a colostomy. But he said, if, if for some reason you needed one, yeah, I could do one. And, I mean, just bless his heart. I know I had just blow him out of the water with some of the stuff I was coming out with on that first visit. But, yeah, you know, I guess that's the difference between Johnson City and Vanderbilt. Yeah. At Vanderbilt, they can do a colostomy on on a person of my size. In Johnson City, they can't. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was one surgery. That was it. That's what he told me. He said, you know, we'll have you uh, a surgery. He said it would normally be a same-day surgery, but since, you know, you're so far from home, we'll go ahead and keep you overnight. And I got to stay overnight. Went. Uh, I spent the night in a hotel, actually, the next night. Since, Like I said, since I was four and a half hours away from home, I did spend the night in a hotel just in case I had any complications, sure. which I didn't have. I had no complications. We drove home the next day. I drove back the next month, had him check me out. Everything looked wonderful. Um, I checked back with him every three months just to make sure everything's okay. Haven't had a complication since. Um, I'll be one year post-op in May. Everything's looking great so far. And, That's uh, just I tremendous. Mean, no it's just, it, it, I mean, it really is. Like I said, can't say enough wonderful things about him. It's It's been a great experience. It really has. And, and I'm hoping for the same, like I said, for all of my girls and my support group and and everybody everywhere that's suffering with an obstetric fistula, I'm really hoping for the same for them. I really want everyone to be healed and to have as great of an experience as I've had. Mm-hmm. That's that's really my hope. It's amazing what um, a, one doctor can do. Um, one doctor can be so make you feel so negative and make you want to come home and cry, and another doctor can give you so much hope that. You feel like you know that things are going to be normal again, and things you're going to get to live a normal life, and and I, I I think it's just tremendous that you didn't give up and that you're there to um, to support others when they want to give up, because I'm sure there were times when you felt like giving up, but you certainly oh absolutely like after I walked out of that last doctor's office in Johnson City. I thought this is it. You know, like I said, I had my hematologist not, you know, encouraged me and said, Christy, don't give up. You know, you cannot give up. You have to keep fighting. And, uh, you know, had it not been for him continuing, you know, encouraging me and told me to keep fighting, you know, it it was him that urged me on. And, you know, it it was him that basically made me go home that night. And uh, it was because of him that uh, I went home. And I looked on Vandy's website and I found Dr. Wise. So I have him to thank for that. I have him to thank for finding Dr. Wise to to encourage me for fighting. And, you know, it's people like that that really make a difference in your life. There are some doctors that truly touch your life and that make a difference, and there are some that really, you know, just won't. And, you know, those are the people that, you know, maybe – maybe really need to rethink what they're doing and maybe rethink their, maybe even rethink their profession, you know. But uh, the people that yeah. really touch your life, they, they make a big difference, and, you know, I owe a lot to them. Yeah, um, I uh, I know that, um, uh, you know, with just, luckily I've had to see very few doctors in my life, but um, luckily I've had good good doctors, but I've heard so many bad stories about um, I actually have a friend who has Crohn's disease, and um, he um, I, I met him in college, but um, he actually lives up in uh, Massachusetts now, and he had a really hard time with different doctors. 
Um, so that's, you know, I think he had to go to, you know, different ones and finally went to Massachusetts General, which is like the best, you know, place there in Boston. And sometimes oh, you have yeah. to go to the best to find the best. <laughs> absolutely, so. absolutely. You have to, well, if he's in Tennessee, you send him to Dr. Wise. That's the, be- that's the best in Tennessee, so you send him to Vandy. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, we have about three minutes left, so if there's just anything you'd like to conclude to say, then just feel free to go ahead. Absolutely. Well, Beth, I, I do definitely want to thank you for having me on and letting me spread some awareness about obstetric fistula and sharing my story. And if there are any ladies out there that are living with obstetric fistulas or are survivors um, and you are on Facebook, definitely join us at Li- with Living. I can't even speak. Definitely join us um, with our support group at Living with Obstetric Fistula. That is the group. Just find it in the search bar. Um, And once again, I thank you so much. It has been a wonderful experience here. I'm so thankful to be healed, and I'm thankful to Dr. Paul Wise and Vanderbilt University Medical Center for all they've done for me. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Christy, for sharing your story. You're so brave. And you're out there fighting the good fight and helping other women, um, helping other women with their fight as well, and that's very admirable. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show today and being so open and and and, and sharing your story. I I really um, I really appreciate it. And well, I guess thank you again. Yeah, I know it's absolutely it was my pleasure, and and thank you, thank you so much for for. Um, for just just sharing just sharing your story and sharing everything and not not being shy and you've probably helped a lot of people today, so I thank you for that and I thank you for coming on my show. Oh, anytime, anytime. I really appreciate it. All right then. Well, I guess that concludes today's show. I hope everyone's having a happy Thursday and uh, hopefully I'll be back on the air in a couple of weeks with a great new guest. So, as for now, this is Beth Chankel Anderson signing off.